I've got a pocket full of quarters, and I'm going to the arcade. Why? Because I've got Pac-Man fever, baby. You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast, an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. Welcome back to another week of What the Elf Was That? And as I just mentioned, I got myself some Pac-Man fever this week, the Athletic came out with a great article on Pac-Man Jones. And as you probably don't know, Pac-Man Jones is one of my favorite players of all time. But we'll get into that later because first we got some Browns news to take care of. Talking about Nick Harris. Is he on the bubble? Is he in? Is he out? We've got some running back room discussion. Do we have the running back blues? And the Borg are at it again. And I can't even make this crap up. They're always at it, they're always doing it, and they're at it again. So before we get to the Borg, let's start off with our first topic. Is Nick Harris on the bubble? Now, some of you may be asking, who the heck is Nick Harris? And if you're asking that question, I honestly don't blame you for asking that question because the dude's been hurt for a long time. Now, you may wonder, you may recall, Nick Harris was a center drafted, I believe, out of Washington University in the or University of Washington in the state of Washington, not that one in St. Louis, um, played center on a zone team. And he was a little short and a little undersized when he came out in the draft, but he was a terrific center for a zone-based team. So the Browns pick him up in a late round. This is the same time they had J.C. Treader, and they're looking for a replacement for J.C. Treader because – as you may recall, J.C. Treader, J.C. Treader, as the NFL Player Association president, orchestrated the whole "let's not go to minicamp" discussion or uh, walkout of Browns minicamp uh, back in 2021, I believe. So they drafted Nick Harris, thinking maybe this guy can either be a swing guy to play center and guard, or he could ultimately be a replacement for J.C. Treader. Well, it didn't quite work out that way for him. But before we get into Nick Harris, let's ask, why is center an important position? So I'll, I'll get to you by saying this. I spent an entire season in high school playing center, and I'm going to tell you, I hated playing center. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I it just as a as a guy who played guard, I knew I had to play center. We had to be replaceable. I, I get it. But like, I hated the fact that you had to take a ball, snap it up your butthole and take a step at the same time and block. Was I good at it? I don't know. Probably not, to be honest with you, um, because I begged to get out of the center position <laughs> as fast as I could. I didn't like it at all. So, But the center plays a lot of roles on the field. Not only are they snapping the ball and they're snapping it to the time and the rhythm of the quarterback's cadence, but they're also kind of like the, the leader of the offensive line on the field. In terms of the center is the one who calls out protections. That's why you always see the center pointing to a linebacker saying he's the mic. Um, sometimes the, the quarterback will call out the mic, and that's just the guy who the offensive line or the running back, depends on what the team is calling him out for, um, is responsible for in pass blocking. It sets who's going to block who on the, on the offensive line in terms of pass protection. So the center is the guy that's calling that. Um, 
The center is also the guy that makes sure that the, the correct blocking scheme and the zone schemes, people are know exactly which way they're going and why. Uh, center and quarterback combos are important. It's important for a quarterback to feel like, hey, I'm got a center that I'm used to. I understand how it plays. They're gonna they're the way they're going to call protections and the way they're going to call schemes. And so the center can worry about, or excuse me, the the quarterback can worry about coverages, alignments, what makes sense, which direction they're going. So when you see a quarterback make an audible, he makes the audible, then the center has to call the correct blocking scheme to go with that alignment. So over the history of the NFL, you see these quarterback center combinations because they both have to be on the same page. You see Peyton Manning had Jeff Saturday, Ben Roethlisberger had Maurice Marquise Pouncey, excuse me. I want to make sure I got the the two crying people at the end of the playoff game correct. Marquise Pouncey and Ben Roethlisberger. And you can find them over and over and over and over and over again. So a good center is really important for an offense to get straight mentally before the play uh, is actually becomes the physical part of the play. So a good center is important. A good center can stabilize the pre-snap read process, taking some of the role off of the quarterback. This would have been good for Baker Mayfield, who was trying to do it all himself and quite honestly wasn't very good at it. But a good center can help walk him through that. So it's important that the Browns have a long-term center situation. To that end, they signed Ethan Pochick. Uh, some people call him Ethan Posick. I think it's Ethan Pochick, to be honest with you. Uh, came out of LSU, signed a three-year deal for $18 million. Um, so it seems like the Browns would have this position locked up. Pochick uh, played a, a pretty good pretty good season last year. Had his best year under, um, I can't think of the offensive line coach's name. It's just going out of my head. Had a great year last year. Really shored up some of his pass blocking techniques. Um, his was good as a run blocker, but his pass blocking was the issue, and he seems to have cleared that up and signed a big deal. Uh, the Browns, however, if you look at Pochick's contract, he has an out after one year, or at least the Browns have an out after one year. And if he's still on the roster, they have to pay him a roster bonus. And the same thing is true after year two. So, after year two, if he's still on the roster at a certain date, they have to pay him a roster bonus. So this could really end up being a one-year, really bloated one-year deal. Or it could turn into a three-year deal. So it really depends on, one, how is Ethan Pochick playing, or Pochick is how is he playing, and two, what are the Browns' options behind Pochick to see is there somebody like willing to take over or able to take over and save the Browns some money against the cap, which I'm not a firm believer that the cap makes any sense or means anything anyway. If they want to keep Pochick, they're keeping him because they think he's worth what they're paying him. If they don't keep keep Pochick and they let him go, it's because they don't think he's worth what they're paying him, and they're moving on, and they'll just call it a salary cap casualty, but really it's a you don't deserve or you don't play up to the amount of money we're paying you. So hasta la vista, baby. So the Browns this year drafted Luke Whipler out of Ohio State. Whipler was taken on the 190th pick in the sixth round. He's a bit undersized and will probably be an interior swing man for his career. But 
He may develop into a starter. He could surprise and come into his own and actually be a decent center after a year or two, which is, if you're thinking about this, Pochick's contract, if if Whipler can can bring it, if he can bring it, he might be able to get Pochick and get him off the books. You never know. So what's what's all this have to do with Nick Harris? Well, Nick Harris, unfortunately, or right or wrong, has suffered a lot in his career due to injuries. He was a small player coming out of Washington. He was short. He lacked some muscle. Um, he needed to get stronger like a lot of players that the Browns draft. And he ended up having durability issues. He ended up getting hurt on that New York turf. And by the way, that New York turf is garbage. But he ended up getting hurt on that New York turf. And he's also been hurt in a couple other times. And you kind of wonder if his body can hold up to the NFL. Now, more power to Nick Harris. He got to the NFL. I didn't. So, hey, good for him, right? And he has been a professional athlete. Good for him. Just not sure how he's going to make it with the size that he's had. And unfortunately, I think the size has has really got to him. But, uh, you know, we'll see. So if this year going into camp, you know, Nick Harris has been injured all of last year, and we don't know what kind of shape he's going to be in coming into camp. But there could be a Luke Whipler versus Nick Harris battle happening in camp for that swing center guard position. And if Harris is not far superior to Whipler, um, I would expect to see Whipler take the job. So for all of you out there reading all these articles on Nick Harris, um, Nick Harris may unfortunately be on the outside of this situation simply because you got somebody that's younger, cheaper, you know, more actually probably not even cheaper. You probably cost the same, uh, but younger and a little bit bigger and maybe a little bit more able to handle the NFL game. Um, love you, Nick Harris, but it, it, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You might be able to squeeze onto the, the Browns practice squad and sit there. I doubt Whipler will, but I could see Nick Harris doing that given, you know, some of his injuries. He could even start on IR. Um, I don't know what to tell you. So that's one of the first issues in Browns news. Another thing going on in Browns news are the running backs. Do the Browns have the running back blues? And by that, I mean, do the Browns have an issue at running back? Uh, People like to come out and start saying the Browns need to acquire another legitimate veteran running back. My question is why? Why do the Browns need a legitimate backup to Nick Chubb? They can say the obvious reasons, right? Well, what happens if Nick Chubb gets hurt? First of all, Nick Chubb doesn't get hurt, knock on wood, because they don't use him in such a way that gets him hurt, right? They use him in in a way that makes him complete makes him productive he's not overworked and he hasn't been overworked in his entire career so because he's not being overworked he's not accumulating all that damage that these running backs have been damaging over the year have been acquiring over the years and their production has fallen off hence this is why nick chubb's production has not really fallen off even though he's halfway through his second contract he still looks good and he still looks like he's playing at an all-pro, pro bowl level. So the running back room is set with, with Nick Chubb. He can perform under pressure. He may even have Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame potential. I think you'd have to look at his numbers in comparison to other people in his era. I don't think you can compare him to the way other running backs were used when the, running, when the NFL was a different game. The NFL used to be a 
ground and pound game, and Jim Brown owned that game. Go back and listen to some previous episodes of What the Elf Was That, and you can hear why I think Jim Brown owned that era of football. So if the question is depth, what's the depth behind Nick Chubb? Well, first is Jerome Ford. And the question around Jerome Ford is, is he ready to step up? Is he ready to take the role vacated by Kareem Hunt? And I think that's an unfair question to ask because you can't ask Jerome Ford to be Kareem Hunt. And you can't ask Jerome Ford to play the role that Kareem Hunt played because Kareem Hunt's role was created for Kareem Hunt and Kareem Hunt's skill set. Jerome Ford has his own skill set, and his role will be played to Jerome Ford's skill set. So, yes, Jerome Ford can handle the number two running back position. He brings an ability to return the ball along with the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield that the Browns need. But he's not that ground and pound kind of guy that that Hunt was, and he didn't take all the damage that Hunt has taken. In a lot of ways, Kareem Hunt took all the damage that normally an NFL running back would take and therefore has allowed Nick Chubb to not have to take that damage. Kareem Hunt has been the one that's just pounded the two yards for the first down. Is that going to be Jerome Ford's role? I don't know. He's never really been that kind of a player. He's been more of the third down receiver, uh, run the ball, fast kind of guy, not necessarily the big thug that just runs over people. So rookie running backs have been known to excel in the NFL. Running backs, I mean, you get a rookie that's drafted in the sixth round that comes out becoming all pro. It happens all the time. And then two years, they fall off the planet and nobody's heard from them again. Okay. Could this be Jerome Ford? Probably not because they're not going to use him that way. They're not going to use him in a way that's going to get him 30, 40 carries a game. Then he can rack up numbers and make a Pro Bowl because he's got outstanding numbers because he's been overworked. They don't use Nick Chubb that way. They're probably not going to use Jerome Ford that way. But clearly, the running back position in the NFL is probably the most undervalued position. And by that, I mean, like, analytics has told us that running backs can succeed in the sixth round, come in, make all pro. You don't need to draft a first-round running back. You're basically wasting your time with a top-five pick in, in the NFL on a running back. Maybe you're not. Maybe you are. I'm thinking you are. I mean, Nick Chubb himself was the second-round pick, and he's clearly the best running back in the NFL right now. I say clearly. I know some people in Tennessee might argue with me, but he's been overworked in Tennessee, and he'll fall off a cliff soon. So that leaves also, and this is the person in the middle of all this discussion, is Demetric Felton. Will Demetric Felton make the roster? And this seems to be where all the news around the Browns, people are speculating Felton will make the roster. He won't make the roster. Here's why he'll make the roster. Here's why he won't make the roster. Let's just break down Demetric Felton. His strength is being a running back who can also play wide receiver, giving him the more you can do, the more valuable you are, which this front office likes. He's also played in this kind of option style offense that the Browns are kind of going to use this year. So he's familiar with that. 
So Felton, Felton is a dynamic, I wouldn't say dynamic player. He is a diverse player with multiple skill sets. Um, he will make a good addition to the room and compete if Chubb goes down or Ford is not succeeding. So the question around it is, is Demetric Felton good enough to be the third running back? The argument for that is, oh, he can make a great third running back because he can also play slot and be an extra receiver on the field. Now, I think this discussion is missing the entire point, okay? The question around Demetric Felton isn't, okay, here's a running back who can play wide receiver. The question around Demetric Felton is, is he going to be able to beat out Elijah Moore? And yes, I said Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore is a gadget player. He plays wide receiver as his first position, but has been seen lining up at running back in minicamp. Having a gadget wide receiver who plays running back becomes an immediate mismatch for the defense. NFL teams are starting to go to this model and this role for their gadget players. They line up at running back. They line up in the slot. They line up at outside wide receiver. They'll line up in a, in a trio, a tight trio, and block on the line of scrimmage. This is how you use your gadget player. Line them up in H, which is like the, the tight end, most off the line of scrimmage. <clears throat> you put them all over the field. You get them doing a whole bunch of stuff. So, yes, I am telling you, I am predicting it. I am telling you, you're going to see a lot of Elijah Moore as a running back. A lot of teams do it, including San Francisco 49ers, do it very, very well. So I'm not sure Demetric Felton is the guy who's going to be the third running back. The third running back is going to be Elijah Moore. Now, you could probably sneak Felton on a practice squad, keep him around in case you need him. But I'm not sure he's making the team, and I'm not sure he's the best person to be the third running back. You pop Elijah Moore out there, certain selected situations in the running back position, and you're good. Now, I can hear the objection. What about pass protection? What the heck are you going to do with him in pass protection? He's just this tiny little wide receiver. Well, I want to explain to you that there's more than one way to protect a quarterback. You don't have to stand out there and take on a blitzing linebacker to protect the quarterback. You could also just sneak out the pocket and be a dump-off player. It's pretty simple. Elijah Moore lines up in the backfield. The ball is snapped. He looks. If the running if the wide if the linebacker is coming, he could just pop out, be a dump off, and that's the end of it. If he comes out into a route as the ball is snapped, then that linebacker's following him and he's already blocked. You don't have to block him because he's not in the play and you've moved him out of a zone or you've moved him in man-to-man coverage out to the sideline, opening up the middle of the field. It's not that hard. You take your running back, you put him on a flare route. The fact that he's a wide receiver means he'll catch the ball. The fact that he's fast means the defense is going to have to respect him and you could move defenders by lining him up there, getting a mismatch, putting him out on the outside, outside of the pocket. It's a quick dump off pass, pick up five easy yards. That's pass protection. It's protection for the quarterback because he knows if somebody's coming or somebody misses a blitz, boom, right there. So he doesn't have to stand in and block a blitzing linebacker when he can just pop out, be the dump off guy. So Demetric Felton, let's get back to this guy. Would you rather have a running back who can play wide receiver or would you rather have the receiver that can come in and play running back? 
What's more important to you? And I promise you the end of this is going to be the wide receiver that can go out and play running back. With that spot for Demetric Felton, you could put in an extra returner. You could put another wide receiver. You know, some people think for whatever reason you got to cut Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't even understand it. Or that he's going to be gone this year. I don't understand that either. And I don't understand why anybody needs to sign DeAndre Hopkins. Again, listen to past episodes, particularly the segment that says, can the Browns avoid the DeAndre Hopkins pitfall? Don't need DeAndre Hopkins. What you need is to run Elijah Moore and make him a gadget player and make him your third running back. Then you can use that roster spot on someone else. And if you have an injury, just stash the dude on the on the practice squad. I can't imagine anybody's like dying to take a sixth round running back off somebody's hands. There's other running backs out there, and he'll it'll all work out just fine. Okay, we're up on the break. And after the break, as anticipated. We will get to the Pac-Man. Hang on. And we're back. As I promised earlier, we will talk about one of my favorite players to ever play in the NFL, Mr. Pac-Man Jones. Pac-Man Jones, baby. Every time this guy became a free agent, I wrote an article on Dog Pound Daily that the Browns should sign Pac-Man Jones. In fact, I like Pac-Man Jones so much that in my fantasy leagues, my picture, the picture of the symbol I use for my team is is Pac-Man Jones. I've called my team the Pac-Man, all kinds of stuff. Pac-Man Jones is my dude. So why do I like Pac-Man Jones so much? I mean, he's had all kinds of off-field issues, Stuff I'm not even going to talk about. I understand he's had off-field issues. I get it. You don't win in the NFL with Boy Scouts. You can't keep taking chances on people that are just going to throw their career away. But Pac-Man Jones is one of those guys who's ultimately turned it around and spent eight years in Cincinnati, made a Pro Bowl, and really kind of made his a name for himself, really solidified the situation and made a name for himself. So The Athletic came out with a very interesting article on Pac-Man Jones. And just in case you're wondering how he got his nickname or why I like Pac-Man Jones, I can sum it up for you in one one paragraph from the article. And the article said, Pac-Man, the nickname his mother gave him because he changed directions so quickly as a toddler, (coughs) he craved the inherent violence of the game. In this way, Pac-Man Jones reminds me of another one of my favorite players in the NFL, one Mr. Lyle Alzado, who said in an interview once, I'm not going to lie, I'm in football for the violence. See, I too had a really kind of not-so-great upbringing. Um, Some of you who may know me growing up knew I grew up in the the dirt-poor part of the town that I grew up in. Um, didn't really garner much respect from my coaches in high school or fellow players or, or, or much of that because, you know, in high school, we paid too much attention to economic status of people as opposed to just people as people. You know, as where they're playing the game because, hey, it's something to do in high school. I'm playing it so I can go to college. I'm playing it because football is the only thing that's going to, like, 
help me go to college because there's no way I was going to be able to afford it otherwise. So I also had a troubled bringing upbringing. You know, I had some issues with my parents and my brothers and some family issues and some relationship issues, not, not any domestic violence or anything like that, but just friends couldn't get along with people. I was a lot of drama at times and, uh, it was hard for me. It was hard for me to, to make sense of my life at such a young age and to have so much happen to me that happened. But I knew that I could get on the football field and whenever I had anger toward my parents or my brothers or people that I lived with or in the neighborhood, you know, I knew that I could go out and I could take my, my anger out on people on the football field. I was there for the violence. I was there to take my anger out on somebody and there's nothing like dominating somebody and just making them, I'm not going to use curse words here, but just making them yours. You know, you own that person and you're going to punish them. My motto used in high school used to be, you know, if the other team showed up to the game, they deserve the butt kicking I'm about to give them. And if somebody was stupid enough to line up over me, they deserved the butt kicking I was personally going to hand them. And Pac-Man and Lyle Alzado, I'm telling you, they understood this. They knew what this was about. They played like this. And I love them for it. I love them for it. <clears throat> but I also had a coach that used to tell me that you have to be two people. You have to be one person on the field, right? You can go on the field and you can be a violent, nasty, angry person. But then when you get off the field, you've got to be this polite, gentle, respectful, law-abiding person that is a pillar of the community. And I think somewhere along the ways, Pac-Man didn't quite get that part of the situation and ultimately kind of failed in some ways to being that man off the field. He let the man on the field affect the man off the field as where I was fortunate enough to um, not let that man on the field come out off the field. But on the field, you, better, you just better watch out. I used to have the crazy eyes. My nickname used to be the killer, and, and there was a reason for that. Anyway, um, so this article does a really good kind of uh, rundown on Pac-Man, some of his college playing days, his friendship with Chris Henry, wide receiver who played for the Cincinnati Bengals for a few years, died in a, a weird kind of accident. Um, this was Pac-Man Jones's friend. And while Pac-Man was in Cincinnati, you know, he took it upon himself to bring in Chris Henry's children. And he has been raising Chris Henry's children as his own. And I think that's a good thing to be said here because here's a situation where Pac-Man has finally become off the field what he needs to be. You know, he can be the angry, trash-talking man on the field, but he's he's now become, or he has become, because he's been doing this for a while, he has become that man off the field at the same time. I mean, he would be the meanest, nastiest player on the field and then turn right around and be now being the perfect gentleman off the field. And good for Pac-Man Jones, because it looks like Pac-Man has powered up, has chased off those ghosts, and has made it to the next level. Good for you, Pac-Man Jones. Then always remember that Terrell, Pry Terrell Pryor is garbage. Garbage. Okay, moving on. 
Speaking of garbage, we're now to that time where we talk about the ultimate garbage. Let's cue it up. The ultimate garbage. We are the Borg. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. And when I talk about the ultimate garbage, ultimately I'm talking about the Borg. That's right. The NFL owners are at it again. So this time, well, there's no news, ladies and gentlemen. There's no lose about anything ever. And it's really hard to come up on a topic into dealing with the Borg. But they do seem they have seemed to make the news. On July 20th, it is reported that the NFL is expected to vote and to approve the group headed up by Josh Harris and Magic Johnson to purchase the Washington Commanders for $6.05 billion. Now, if that sounds familiar, those of you who've ever watched Austin Powers, $1 billion. So if you put it in those terms, Dr. Evil of Austin Powers would have to steal six nuclear warheads from Kerplakistan in order to buy an NFL team. Dr. Evil's working in the long, wrong world. Even Dr. Evil can't afford a football team. But this comes on the heels that Jeff Bezos, Amazon owner worth an estimated $152 billion, was not even allowed to bid. So I guess that Amazon Thursday night football money is super important. And I figured the owners are probably thinking they could milk that Amazon cash cow more if Bezos was not an owner as opposed to if he was an owner. But given that he has $152 billion, this would allow him to buy at the price range of $6 billion a pop. Jeff Bezos could buy 25 of the 30 NFL football teams before he went bankrupt. So if he happened to ever buy an NFL football team, he would probably be the richest person to own a football team. I don't know, maybe, but he seems to be too rich to own a football team. And who needs that much money? Who needs $152 million? And how did the owners not find a way to get him to up the price of the commanders. I mean, isn't this what you want? You want that top bidder to come in and just start overbidding everything to the point where nobody else could buy the thing except him. I mean, what's wrong with these people? Also, Josh Harris of the Philadelphia 76ers, the process will now take over the commanders come July 20th. So if those of you who don't remember the process, this is where the Philadelphia 76ers pretty much just tanked for two seasons straight in an attempt to land a generational talent, and they got one in Joel Embiid. Um, and now the Sixers are a good team. So maybe that's what's going to happen with the Commanders. Maybe they're going to tank. This gives them the opportunity to be 0-17. We'll see if uh, that can make that happen. But good luck to Josh Harris. No matter how bad a Borg member you will become, the collective will always be better without Dan Snyder. That dude was just straight, pure Borg trash. 
And with that, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at The Left Guard. 